now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Delphi Ellis, author of the book Answers in the Dark, Grief, Sleep, and How Dreams Can Help You Heal. She is also a qualified counselor, well-being trainer, and mindfulness practitioner who has worked in the therapeutic setting since 2002. She offers practical insights aimed at helping you find your mojo and getting your sparkle back. Delphi, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's just start right here. What are dreams? It's such a fascinating question, isn't it? It's it's one of the things that I talk about in Answers in the Dark. I kind of start there. In My book is split into three parts. So the first part of my book, I talk about what I call the big myths of sleep and some of the kind of myths that we've bought into, um, you know, through stuff that, you know, information we find on the internet. The second part of my book talks about the sleep cycle repair kit. So this is all about how you can get a better night's sleep and by extension, a better night's dreaming. And then the third part of my book, I start start with that question what are dreams and the way I describe them is a bit along the line of they're like friends so you've probably got some friends Jeff who will you will take what they say with a pinch of salt you might not take everything they say seriously but you will have other friends that maybe you really listen to them you pay attention and you welcome what they have to say and dreams really fall into that category for me if if you look in the dictionary the word dream has so many different connotations it will be Uh, you know, images that you'll see in your mind whilst you're asleep. Well, of course, not everybody has their vision. You know, blind people dream. Um, It's not exclusive to just seeing images. Blind people experience their dreams in different ways. So so we needed to kind of come up with a, a better way of looking at it. And the way I define it in the book is a bit like a friend giving you some useful information. But I also think of them like a gift. And I know that feels difficult for some people, especially people who have nightmares and so but I do describe them as a gift because I think that they are trying to give you something you can take it or leave it you don't have to accept the gift you don't have to accept what the gift is offering you or what you're being offered in the gift Um, but also dreams are deliberately encrypted so that only you can ultimately decide what they mean so it's almost like we carry within each of us um a decoding machine you know we're all kind of born with a dream dictionary and so ultimately only we can decide what our dreams mean it can be helpful to use a dream dictionary some people find them useful some people don't um but ultimately only you can decide what your dreams mean and so I do think of them like I say as these gifts these friends um but they are specifically encrypted so that only you can decipher them and when I've worked with people when we've kind of try and unpack and explore their dreams they've often once I've kind of given them some top tips on how to do that they've been like oh yeah of course it means that you know I totally get it so yeah in a nutshell that's that's how I describe them it's interesting that you use the words decrypted and decoded why is Mm. it so difficult though for us to decode them ourselves yeah I think it's partly because we certainly in western society and this is definitely the case in the UK we don't like talking about anything that makes us look a bit weird So we've kind of got into this habit of not talking about these nightly adventures that we have. And so we don't necessarily always have the language or the vocabulary or the insight to describe what it is that we're experiencing as these nighttime adventures. So I think part of it is that. But I also think it's because sometimes the dreams are just so random. It's only when you start to talk about them. It's a bit like a problem. You've probably had problems in the past where you kind of maybe feeling like you're not okay or or you know something's not quite right and it's only when you start to talk to somebody about it that you kind of think oh yeah of course it's it's that or it's it's this that's having an impact on me or there's something else so I think there is a benefit to talking about our dreams and and uh you know their content but you're right you know sometimes they can be so bizarre they can be so I mean I dreamt once that I was pushing Vin Diesel in a shopping trolley right the actor um you know I dreamt I was in a scooby-doo movie once so you know these these are the kind of things where you wake up in the morning and you think 
okay? Um, and then you have to try and unpack and decode it. I think the problem also is that in our busy world, you know, our 21st century world where we are just available to everybody 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I think we wake up in the morning and the first thing we're thinking about is where we've got to be and who we've got to see. And so our dreams, if you like, kind of disappear into the ether. If we don't take a few minutes just to sit and write them down, then they're going to disappear. And so we're not necessarily going to give them the time and attention that they need. And that's why, you know, so many people will say, but I don't actually remember my dreams. I don't actually, you know, remember them. And and that's okay too. Um, I, I remember reading some research once that said, if you remembered every dream that you had, your head would be so big, you'd have to carry it around in a shopping trolley or a, tro- a shopping cart. So you're not meant to remember every dream that you have, but certainly the ones that we do remember, if we don't write them down within a few minutes of waking up, they'll just disappear and we'll never give them a second thought. So I think there's lots of layers to it. Um, but certainly I think once we start the process of unpacking them, we will get there. We will understand it. So are you saying that everybody dreams and for the people who will say that they don't dream, it's just because they don't remember them? Exactly that. Yeah. The science tells us that if you weren't dreaming, um, you would be really poorly because the process of dreaming actually um, is uh, is important to, for example, storing memory. So um, the, the process of dreaming is is pretty much proven that we all do it every single night. We just don't remember them. And there's lots of different reasons why people don't remember their dreams. Like I say, you know, for some people, it will be that they're so busy. But for other people, they may well have had experiences growing up they may have said to a a caregiver a parent for example that they had a bad dream last night and if their parent turned around to them and said oh don't worry it doesn't mean anything then you're going to grow up thinking dreams don't mean anything so why would you remember them so I think it's very much to do also with the importance that we place on them If, if we've got some ideas about the fact that they can be useful they can give us a valuable resource and don't forget you know um there's been famous people throughout history who have literally used their dreams as part of their discoveries. Albert Einstein was said to have dreamt the theory of relativity. Um, you know, Kakul came up with the, um, I think it was the bending molecule that he he dreamt about it and how it worked. So, you know, there's people throughout history that have had dreams which they've then used to influence their work. Um, the, the One of the funniest examples was Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones apparently dreamt the riff to I Can't Get No Satisfaction. You know, he woke up and he woke up singing it. So, um, um, uh, so, so I've heard. So I think that's, um, you know, that's one example of how we can use our dreams in such an exploratory way and not always in a symbolic way, you know, not always in the sense that they always mean something in the sense that it's, oh, yeah, I'm having problems at work or I've got problems at home. Um, it might be in the context of, you know, these famous people who've used their dreams to influence their work. So it is very much to do with whether or not, I think, as much as anything, there's other reasons as well, but as much as anything, it's the importance you place on them. If you think they're not important, you're not likely to remember them. What about lucid dreams? Can you give mm. us a clear distinction between lucid dreams and regular dreaming? Yeah, so it's a fascinating area. And one of the, um, I actually recommend books in my book. And and one of the books that I recommend, or two of the books that I recommend in my book is the work of Charlie Morley, um, because his work on lucid dreaming has been really um, profound and incredible in terms of, um, you know, understanding what lucid dreaming is and how useful it is. Um, And he makes distinctions about the type of lucid dreams that we have as well. So essentially, a lucid dream is becoming aware of the fact that you are dreaming in the dream. So you may well be just walking down the street in your dream and there'll be something about your dream that perhaps doesn't seem quite right. And you'll just have this moment where you think, I'm dreaming. And one of the things Morley talks about um, in, in his books is he says that some people at that point will just wake up. They'll just realize that they were dreaming and then wake up. But some people will realize that they're dreaming and then carry on in the dream, fully aware of what they're dreaming about. Um, And one of the ways that that can be quite helpful in dreaming is you can start to influence what you do in your dreams. So many people, including myself, if you've ever had a dream that you're flying, and I don't mean flying in an airplane, I mean flying like Superman. Um, Often people, when they're flying in their dreams, that's what I mean when I say like, you know that can't be right, that you're flying in your dream. So you know that can't be right. And so something kind of says to you, you're dreaming. 
some people at that point will wake up and some people will actually be able to then just continue flying and they'll make decisions about where they're going to fly and how they're going to fly and stuff like that. So yeah, lucid dreaming is essentially about becoming aware of the fact that you're dreaming in a dream. You'll either wake up or you'll carry on whatever it is. And it can be particularly useful for people who are trying to, um, you know, make decisions about what they want to do in life or even just practicing things. You know, I've known people use lucid dreamings to practice a presentation at work. You know, uh, it, it's, it's incredible the kind of things that you can do. So, yeah, lucid dreaming is a fascinating concept. Um, and I do talk about it in the book. I talk about this and, and the work of Charlie Morley and how he takes it that step further by explaining the benefits of it and why it can be helpful. A lot of my guests talk about near-death experiences, and some of them will say that they see people who have passed on in their dreams. Can you tell us about what's going on in those dreams? Yeah, so visitation dreams, as they're sometimes known, is essentially where a dead loved one comes to you or appears to you in a dream. And one of the distinctions I talk about in Answers in the Dark is I talk about the difference between what we would consider an authentic visitation dream and a dream where, for example, you might dream about somebody that's died. And if there is some unfinished business with that person, so perhaps they died and you hadn't resolved an argument, for example, then you may well play out that scenario in your dream with them about that argument and how you wished it had ended. That doesn't always necessarily mean it's a visitation dream. That can sometimes be our mind trying to work through the grief associated with their loss and the bereavement. And so um, that's where we would consider dreams, as, as I refer to in the book, as nighttime therapy. So sometimes our dreams will be offering us an opportunity to work through the grief. And we do that in such a way that um, we might perhaps resolve an argument with them through the dream that we've had. Other types, though, and this is where we move into those more authentic um, visitation dreams. And I've experienced this in my my background is as a bereavement counsellor. So I spent 20 years um, in the main working with people that had been bereaved. And I worked mainly with people that had been bereaved by murder and suicide. So um, often the types of dreams I've just described, especially bereaved by suicide, people would have those dreams that I would call nighttime therapy, where they worked through in their minds, in their dreams those conversations that they wish they'd had or you know that that kind of making peace with them in their minds through that nighttime therapy authentic visitation dreams tend to be these very spiritual special moments where the person that has died comes to us in a dream and they just look amazing you know, they'll, they won't look like they did when they died, or they'll be wearing a favorite dress that they used to wear 20 years ago, or they will just almost have this glow, like an angelic glow about them. And the message that they give in those dreams is often along the lines of, I'm okay. Everything's all right. I'm okay where I am. Everything's going to be okay. Um, I'm doing really well you know, those kinds of messages. And so that's where I tend, and I talk about this in Answers in the Dark, I make this distinction between that form of nighttime therapy, which is just as helpful, it's just as important in helping us work through our grief. But these visitation dreams are the ones where, when I've spoken to people, they wake up in the morning feeling as if something really special has happened. You know, um, I remember one lady telling me that um, a loved one kind of came to her and they just talked all night in her dream. And in their dream, they were just kind of putting the world to rights. It was like they were just still there having a conversation. Um, but when she woke up, it was as if something really special had happened. And she she knew it was a form of visitation dream. So that's how I kind of distinguish them. Authentic visitation dreams are the ones where those that we have loved and lost will appear to us in a dream, but they will look so well and so healthy um and again I'm thinking of people that have told me especially if their loved one when they died they were very sick or you know they were heavily medicated in some way there's no sign of that in the visitation dream you know they they are just have this beautiful glow about them they look well they look happy they look rested and they look at peace and that for me is where I would I would kind of put those those visitation dreams are either one of those type of dreams just a one-off or can they be like happening in a series or a continuation? 
Yeah, so I think certainly with the dreams that would fall into the nighttime therapy category, I think that because this is one of the things I talk about this in the book, grief is like a hole that we walk around during the day and we fall into at night. You know, so often when we're grieving and I talk in the book as well, I talk about how the fact when I talk about grief, I'm not just talking about the death of a loved one. I'm talking about any kind of loss, because when we talk about loss, it's anything that's mattered to you that's no longer there. So it could be the breakdown of a relationship. It could be uh, being made redundant and losing your job. So when we talk about loss and grief, it's important to include that in our in our awareness of what grief actually looks like and how it shows up. So the first kind of dream would fall into that nighttime therapy. And that may happen for some time. You know, that may well um, take a while for us to process and work our way through, especially if we're not dealing with it during the day. You know, if, especially if we're not having those conversations during the day to process what's happening to us um but equally one of the things I do say as well in the book is that if at any point in the dreams that person is unkind to you if they're cruel to you in the dream if they say like you know it's all your fault or anything like that that is where it's moving into that um there's stuff that needs to be worked through and it might be helpful to have the help of someone during the day as well you know especially if those dreams feel like they're causing more harm than they're doing good so that's where I would encourage people to talk uh, it during the day about their dreams as well but the visitation dreams the authentic visitation dreams where someone comes to a person person and says uh, everything is okay um, they tend to be rarer uh, and actually when I've spoken to grieving people I've met people who've said to me I'd love to dream about them and they just don't um, but I've also met people that have said to me they've had this one visitation dream and it gave them everything they needed they, they didn't necessarily need another one um, although I'm thinking of, of one person in particular um, it's actually my mum she she told me once that when my dad died um, she told me that he'd come to her in, in dreams before um, and then um, he came to her again in a dream and he said um, there was a really important document that I needed to sign um, and when she woke up the next day she said to me she said oh you know she said I, I had this dream your dad came to me he was really well he looked really happy and he said and um, there's this really important document you need to sign and I said oh what document was it she said I've got no idea <laughs> <laughs> so we just we just had to kind of wing it you know and and see what it was that was was coming up um because nothing was kind of in my conscious awareness at that time about this really I don't know if it was a job offer if it was moving house you know I had no idea um but that's that's an example as well of course it relies on the dream remembering the content and remembering the detail um but yeah so sometimes it can certainly with the nighttime therapy type dreams they can be quite regular and frequent and if they are causing problems then chat to someone about it during the day but the visitation dreams where that person comes and says everything's okay they tend to be rarer they they, they are often like one-off experiences maybe two or three but one-off usually Recently in a dream, I heard somebody call out my name. It was kind of like towards the end of a dream and you're kind of like fading out of a dream, but it was like off to one side, um, maybe behind me or something. And it was pretty clear like, hey, Jeff. And it kind of startled me. I mean, I woke up, I looked around. What? Yeah. And um, and uh, I told my wife about it and she was like, why didn't you wake me up? And I was like, well, I don't know, you know. I wake you up. I mean, and then I finally just figured, okay, I guess it was part of my dream and went back to bed. Mm -hmm. What, what does that mean? So I, I talk about these fascinating nighttime phenomena in the book in Answers in the Dark. I talk about these fascinating nighttime experiences. Um, and one of them is hearing your name at night. And I have spoken to so many people literally around the world about this, where they've had this experience, just as you've described it, where they were aware that they weren't awake, but the way that the person called their name, it was as if they were in the room with them. It was that loud. It was that clear. And I talk about my own experience of this in the book, where I actually had an experience where I just remember hearing somebody say, Delphi just like that. Um, but it was in an Irish accent and it was a woman's voice. And it was so clear that I actually got up and I, I walked around to see, you know, is, is there an Irish woman in my house? And if so, why is she there? You know, um, and if not, then who is she? Because um, I do have Irish heritage. So um, so it was it was interesting. And when I did this research, there was um, 
so many different perspectives on this around what it actually means. So for some people, it was somebody trying to get their attention. It was in the sense that it was just letting them know that they're there and that they're comforted and there's no problems, you know, very similar to the visitation style dream. So almost like where that person knows who it was and they felt settled and comfortable with that person just calling out their name. But for other people, it was um, almost like a spiritual experience where they felt as if they were almost in um, in conversation with somebody and and they almost kind of wanted to carry on that conversation so they could go back to sleep and almost enter into that conversation with that person as if it was like the tail end of one dream but going into another um and so there's there was that perspective but then from from the bigger picture perspective one of the things that we do know and I talk in the book I actually have a chapter called the 4am mystery which is why we're awake in the middle of the night why is it that some of us just seem to find ourselves awake between sort of three and four in the morning. And for some people, the research suggests that it's that time in the night when our problems come to us and we will perhaps feel anxious. We might even feel depressed and everything feels so much more intense in the middle of the night. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, not making any decisions until morning. You know, if you're if you've woken up feeling overwhelmed, especially if um, you've heard someone's name and that's woken you up, it might well be to point you towards that. Um, you know, you need to get you need to get some answers to your problems or you might need to talk to somebody during the day about what's going on for you. Um, and sometimes it is almost to like snap you out of that funk that we get into sometimes in our own minds, if you know what I mean, you know, how sometimes I call it in the book, I describe it as going down the plug hole because it's dark down there and we can find ourselves awake in the middle of the night, just stewing and going round and round in our minds with our thoughts. And so sometimes that hearing your name at night, it's almost someone kind of going, you know, like stop. Um, and that in itself might be one of the reasons why we have it. So, yeah, there's there's different, definitely different ways of looking at it. But one of the things I do say to people is to keep a dream diary, because you will find that if you keep a record of when these things happen, you will often be able to spot patterns in your dreaming and your nighttime experiences. You'll often be able to kind of say, ah, oh, right. OK, so I, I hear my name at night when I'm going through a difficult time. Or I have that particular dream every time my boss tells me we've got an appraisal coming up or we've got a meeting coming up. So you'll be able to kind of make connections between what's going on during the day and what's happening in your dreams at night. So that's where dream diaries can be really helpful. Well, we talk a lot about guardian angels, angels, Mm -hmm. spirit guides. So that kind of crossed my mind. Maybe someone's reaching out to me. Um. But then you don't want to think, okay, am I going crazy? Because <laughs> why am I hearing my name? It only yeah. happened once, but it was kind of, like I said, it was startling, kind of shocking. And, and um, you know, I don't really know. Yeah. What about this? A few times I've had a series of dreams, like as if I was traveling somewhere. And I had had them enough where I, I'd woke up one day and said, I just realized I haven't actually been there. I just keep dreaming that I've been there. Mm. Is it possible that I'm actually like astral traveling at night and actually going there and I've gotten confused about physically being there? Yeah, so I've I've spoken to people who have had these nighttime experiences where they have in their sleep, if you like, they have traveled somewhere else. And I'm thinking of actually a, an experience I had when I was very young. And I think this is what piqued my interest in, in dreams particularly, was I remember very vividly as a child having a dream where I was flying around the turrets of a castle. I was literally flying like Superman, um, like what we were talking about earlier. And I was flying around the turrets of this castle. So I was in the sky actually looking down at this castle in front of me. Um, and I didn't think any more of it. Um, I'd never been there in, in real life. And it was only, it was probably about a year or two later, there was a, an advertisement on the telly, um, on the television, and um, it was the castle. Uh, I'd never been there in real life, but I saw it vividly in my dream. And there it was. I'd never seen it. I'd never, um, I, I, you know, I'd never seen it in a picture or a photograph or anything like that. 
And I just remember looking at this advert on the telly and thinking, that's that's it. That's the castle where I've I've seen that in my dream. I, it's exactly how it looks in real life, but I have never been there in real life. I had never seen it anywhere but inside my dream. Um, and so I think, you know, again, one of the things I talk about in the book is I just don't think we know enough yet about dreams to be able to say it's this or it's this. I know, uh, and one of the things I talk about in the books is that I know that from a scientific perspective, I know that there are different stages of sleep. I know that we talk about rapid eye movement as the stage of sleep most commonly associated with dreaming. And I know that scientists like to find an explanation for why, you know, they, they want the why for everything. And I get it. I just think that there isn't enough science yet. There isn't enough research into these nighttime phenomena for us to be able to say one way or the other, it is or it isn't. So a classic example of this is dreams that predict the future. So I have spoken to so many people over the years who will tell me 100% that they have had a dream which came true. And they've given me very reasonable, um, you know, well kind of articulated experiences of how they have had a dream which predicted the future. But of course, if a scientist put that person in a lab and said, right, have a dream that predicts the future, of course, they wouldn't be able to do it. It doesn't work like that. It, it just doesn't work like that. So I, I think anything is possible. The only time I'm ever a little bit cautious when we talk about dreams and our experiences at night is like I said earlier when people say to me oh in my dream you know something really awful happened um like a like a dead loved one came to me in the dream and they were really horrible to me that for me is more about nighttime therapy that for me is more about us working through our unresolved business you know our, our stuff that perhaps we didn't deal with during the day and it's coming out in our dreams at night but when it comes to things like out-of-body experiences visitation dreams predictive dreams we just don't know enough yet to say it's this or it's that so I think even on just on the back of my own experience you know having never seen this castle in real life having never been there and then literally seeing it on the television in front of me a couple of years later and thinking that's it that's the castle um there's got to be something in it and actually um Stephanie Mayer who dreamt uh, who wrote the books the Twilight Saga um I heard that she dreamt those books so Stephanie Mayer you know the story of Bella and Edward the vampires and the wolves she I heard that she dreamt that and I believe I also heard that she um the place where the books is set she actually dreamt about that as well she she dreamt the place where the books are set so again I I think it's it's so important to keep an open mind and to and to consider the possibilities as long as it's not harming you in some way I think keep an open mind and see see where it takes you I don't do it every night, but it's common for me to dream of people that I've never even met. Do you think that's because I may have seen somebody throughout my day and my brain remembers it and recreates Uh it in my dream? Or am I actually with other people somewhere else in a dream? Yeah, so I I think that there are there are a number of different reasons for this. You're absolutely right. Our brain is taking in information through our eyes all day, every day. So it's quite possible that we've seen somebody, didn't register that on a conscious level, but then in our minds at night when we're asleep, that person manifests as a person that we don't know. Um, but I also know that, and one of the things um, that we sometimes talk about is these past life dream experiences so it's quite possible that we will see people in our dreams that we may have met in a previous life and they will appear to us in a dream that we've had so you know some people theorized for example that at the point of conception we inherit the memories of our predecessors that makes perfect sense to me it makes perfect sense to me that somewhere in our dna is encoded um you know the memories of our ancestors because otherwise how do we learn you know how do we evolve how do we um you know remember to be afraid of certain things and not afraid of others so you know all those kinds of things it makes sense to me that to some extent we are encoded with this knowledge from our ancestors at the point of conception and so I've met people who have had dreams where um, uh, they and I talk about uh, mutual dreaming in the book as well about people who have um, 
had the same dream as a friend or a family member on the same night. Um, but one of the things that I talk about is someone who had this dream of this person in it. And she, in the dream, she was wearing this beautiful dress, but she didn't remember the dress. She didn't know the dress. It wasn't her dress. And she woke up the next day and she said to her family member, um, this, this dress was beautiful. Let me describe it to you. And this family member actually went and got a photograph that again, she hadn't seen. She'd never seen this photograph. She'd never seen this photograph album. And there was this family member wearing this dress. So it's it's that whole thing, isn't it, about these lifetime experiences where, you know, we again, it's that whole thing about keeping an open mind. And until or unless, you know, scientists come around and say, no, that's definitely can't happen. Then I like I say, I think we just have to keep an open mind and, um, you know, kind of consider the possibilities of that. But I think any time that you're having a recurring dream, any time that you're having a dream where, in your case, you know, it's it's someone that you just don't recognise. It's it's important as well because it may be that they remind you of someone that you know. So although they have a different face, it may well be they take on the characteristics of someone you know. So that's where, again, keeping a dream diary can be helpful because it might be that during the day you were thinking about someone and then you had that dream at night where there was this person who looked different but actually reminded you of someone you knew. In your book, Answers in the Dark, you have the sleep cycle repair kit. Mm. So can you give us some tips on how to repair our sleep cycle? <laughs> yeah. So um, this was one of the um, uh, parts of the book that for me was really important because I talk in the first book, part of the book, as I say, in Answers in the Dark, I talk about this, um, these big myths of sleep. So one of the big myths I talk about is that we all need eight hours sleep every night. I think that everybody is different. Some people need seven hours. Some people need nine hours. If you're a child, you need more. If you're a bit older, you perhaps need less. If you're sick, you need more sleep. That makes sense. Sleep is the best medicine. So that and laughter, you know, they're both the best medicine. So um, it, it, it kind of, it's unhelpful when we start to say, well, we've got to have eight hours sleep. And one of the problems with that is that people get so fixated on the idea that they've got to get eight hours sleep, that if they don't get eight hours sleep, that becomes the problem. So people will wake up at four in the morning, like I talk about in the 4am mystery, the chapter of the 4am mystery, and they'll say, oh no, what am I going to be like tomorrow? I'm going to be so tired when I wake up. I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to get my eight hours. And ironically, that keeps them awake because they start to get so fixated on this idea. They get so stressed that they can't fall back to sleep. Your brain is not going to authorize sleep if you're stressed. So when you start talking to yourself that way. So one of the things I talk about in the sleep cycle repair kit is trying to manage the mind at night, trying to get into the habit of recognizing that it's perfectly normal to wake up in the middle of the night. It's, you know, one of the things that our brain does, it has this um, I refer to it in the book as a sentinel reflex, this kind of internal bodyguard that's just making sure everyone and everything is OK. So it's natural to wake up in the night, not every hour, you know, not I'm not talking every 20 minutes, but, you know, once during the night, it, it's quite normal for some people to experience that. Um, but it's what you do next that makes the difference. It's whether you get into that narrative of, oh, no, this is awful, or whether you just kind of say to yourself, this is normal. This is my brain working properly. I'm going to go back to sleep. Um, and so the sleep cycle repair kit talks about managing the mind at night, trying to find different ways to manage when, especially if your thoughts kind of go round and round in circles. And um, so I offer things like mindfulness activities that are specifically designed to help us sleep a little bit better. Um, and also um, I bust this idea around sleep hygiene. So a lot of people will talk about this idea that we have to, um, you know, drink less coffee during the day. We have to um, not exercise late at night night don't eat late at night and all those kinds of things and that's good advice you know that's there's nothing wrong with that but most people I know for them it's not what they're doing during the day that's stopping them sleeping it's what's happening to them during the day and I make this clear distinction in the book that I think we need to talk more about I refer to it in the book as situational insomnia so it's not whether we're drinking too much coffee, it's not whether we're having a warm bath before bedtime or listening to music or meditating that will, you know, help us sleep or not. It can help, but for some people, for many people, it's not what we're doing, it's what's happening to us. 
It's it's the situations we find ourselves. And grief is a classic example of that. You know, if you're going through a relationship breakdown, of course, you're not going to sleep well. And so I think this is where, um, yeah, I, I, in the sleep cycle repair kit, I offer tips. I, you know, I talk about sleep hygiene and I talk about how, of course, we need to kind of think about what we're doing during the day that might stop us sleeping at night. But I also think we need to look more healthily at how we can manage the mind at night, because I think that's what can make a big difference. So are there any generalities or anything that can just help us have a more restful sleep? Yeah, so in the book, I offer these uh, mindfulness activities. Um, and one of the things I offer is one with a mantra. So one of the mantras in the book is breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I calm my mind. Because if you think about it, your mind just wants something to do. That's its job. It just wants something to do. And if you don't give your mind something to do, especially when you're laying bed at night, your bed becomes this magical place that reminds you of all the things you haven't done today. So if you're if you're lying in bed at night and you don't give your mind something to do, it will find something and it will be the argument you had 20 years ago you know, in the supermarket, or it will be that conversation you wish you'd had with your boss, or the thing you wish you'd never said to your family member. Those are the things that keep us awake at night. And so that's where I talk about this mantra. So if you give your mind something to do, literally just repeating those words in your mind, breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out, I calm my mind, you're giving your mind something to do, that's all it wants. Um, And so you can help to manage the mind at night, you can help to try and bring it back to center you can uh, switch on if you like the relaxation response instead of going into fight or flight which is what you will do if you start saying oh no you know I'm, I'm going to be so tired tomorrow I'm going to have a terrible day or you know I'm not going to be able to concentrate so so yeah mantras I think um, are one thing that I include in the book alongside you know breathing activities there are different types of breath activity that we can try before bedtime even just straightforward breathing you know not not trying to do anything too clever with the breath Um, Just bringing our attention towards the breath and allowing us to sink into the natural rhythm of it can be quite helpful. So, um, so yeah, those are those are just a couple of things that I offer in the book. What do you think about mutual dreaming? Yeah, so this again was this this fascinating phenomena where um, these are some of the the nighttime phenomena I was talking about, where I think people we, we need to do more research on this, where I've spoken to people that they've had a particular dream, nothing necessarily to you know, mind blowing. Um, But they've then said to their friend the next day, oh, I had this dream last night that I was, you know, at this nightclub or I was talking to this person. And that person's turned around to them and said, oh my gosh, so did I. I I had exactly the same dream. Um, And when they've talked about it, the the content of their dream is almost identical. Um, So again, it's just a fascinating phenomenon. And um, in some cases, there have even been people that have planned it. You know, they've actually kind of said to each other, just two friends, where they've said, um, let's see if we can try and meet tonight in our dreams. You know, let's see if we can set the intention to do that. Um, and and I, again, with varied levels of success, it's the same with lucid dreaming. You know, it's varied levels of success. And unless you know what you're doing, it, it can make it more complicated. Um, but yeah, so people have had this, this kind of experience. In my experience, it tends to be people that are either very close friends so best friends um mothers and daughters um and uh twins so you know those those kinds of people might be the sort of more common to have those experiences but again I've I've known people that have have had those shared experiences before in, in other ways so yeah it's just a fascinating phenomenon where two people have had exactly the same dream at night do you think it happens more to females versus males you see, this again is where I, I mean, for me, I think the research is really interesting because um, there's just so little of it in terms of how we experience and, and how we identify and and those kinds of things. So I think um, in my experience, I tend to get if I use the example of a partner cheating. So this is one of the most common dreams that people will contact me about where they will say, I dreamt last night that my boyfriend was cheating on me. Is it true? Um, and I get it, you know, I absolutely get it. I've, I've even known people have said to me, I didn't talk to my partner all day because he was cheating on me in my dream last night. Um, even though it's, you know, it's not happening in waking life. They've said, you know, I just gave him such a hard time today because he was cheating on me in my dream last night. And 
again, one of the things I say to people is it's it's important again to think about is this a form of nighttime therapy? Is this the kind of dream where it's saying I'm worried about this. This is an insecurity of mine. It's a fear of mine that my partner might cheat on me. And in my experience, it's always been women that contact me about that dream. You know, I, it's very rare that I will get a man contact me and say, I dreamt that my wife was cheating on me last night. Is she cheating? It's usually women in that respect. Um, but men tend to have more violent dreams. You know, t- men tend to have, not that women don't, women have violent dreams as well, but men certainly can, can sometimes, and there's a theory behind that. You know, it's to do with rehearsal theory. Men predominantly have been pigeonholed into this stereotype of protector. And so they um, th- there's this, this theory that men um rehearse you know they rehearse at night what they would do if they were in a fight situation so um so yeah there is in a way we can we can kind of stereotype some of the dreams that people have but again women have violent dreams and I'm sure men do have dreams that their partner's cheating they just don't tell me about it Mm. um but uh but yeah it is interesting to kind of see the different things that we we might categorize as as typically this or typically that I don't know if you believe in this and I'm speaking about past lives, but if mm. you do, do people dream of their past lives? Yeah. So again, I think that is a, um, a another piece that really, really needs some research behind it. But again, I've spoken to many people who have had dreams where they couldn't be explained any other way. So, and, and again, I kind of make this distinction where if, for example, I was having a dream that I was on the battlefield 500 years ago and I'm going into war. I'm on, I'm on a horse and I'm going into war. And in the dream, my mobile phone starts ringing. Mm-hmm. That is not a past life dream. Right. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's that whole thing. If there's, if there's a current day context to the dream where a mobile phone starts ringing or Kim Kardashian turns up or, you know, whoever, whichever, whichever personality you want to think about, there's a good chance that's not a past life dream. Whereas when people have said to me, I dreamt that I was on a boat and we were coming into um, the shore and the front of the boat went down and I was wearing a military uniform and it felt like I was in the Second World War. And in the dream, they looked down and they saw some dog tags and they then went and researched that and they found the dog tags of that person. Mm. So that's where that was that to me, that would be an authentic past life dream where a person has had an authentic experience where it's not necessarily. And I will say again, going back to what I was saying about inheriting the memories of our ancestors. Again, it might not be that they've been transported to the past in their dream, like time travel. It may well be that it's the memory of um a loved one you know if they found out that that person with those dog tags was in their family um then that again could well be that they've dreamt the memory of a loved one and it's come to them in that dream at night so yeah I again I I I am genuinely of the opinion that we don't know enough about these past life phenomena to uh, and these dreaming phenomena or nighttime experiences to say no that doesn't happen I think we need to explore and consider the possibility that I've spoken certainly to enough people to say there's something in this. There's there's something in these people who have genuinely described an authentic moment in history and then researched it and found out it did happen. And they couldn't have known about it in any other way. Are you saying that they're dreaming of a loved one or they're dreaming the loved one's memories? Yeah, they're dreaming the loved one's memory. Yeah. In my experience, when I've spoken to people about it, they're dreaming the loved one's memory, but there may well be something in the dream. Um, So I've dreamt that I was a man before. I've dreamt that I was a man on a boat um, and, uh, you know, I was uh, navigating this boat. Um, And so, again, to me, that would I have me asking the questions, am I dreaming the memory of an ancestor? that would have been on this boat and and that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's quite possible, again, if we, you know, depending on how much we can find out through research, 
you know, could could we be asking the question, am I dreaming the memory of my ancestor? Um, but also, of course, some people might say, well, um, that's not a memory of my ancestor, but I still dreamt, you know, that I was on the battlefield and, and, and things like that. One example I'm thinking of is um, a person who dreamt that they were in a battle and they were a leader and in the battle just everywhere there was just people that had been slain in battle just everywhere and when I spoke to them about it and said what does this mean for you what what you know when you think about this what does it mean for you does it feel like it's a memory or does it feel like it's something else and they described to me that at the moment the time they had the dream they were actually about to make people redundant and so and he was the leader so if you like going into work was the battle and all these bodies lying around were all these people that he had to make redundant so that's why I think sometimes again it's important that we don't just kind of go out down one road and say well it's it's got to be a past life dream we could actually look at the symbolic reference of it and say but actually is this meaningful in my life right now could I translate that into actually that's a really good reflection of how I feel right now that I'm going into battle every work you know every day at work and I'm having to lay these people off you know, I'm I'm literally having to change these people's lives. So could you, you know, could you translate and interpret it that way? You know, you mentioned earlier Kim Kardashian, and obviously there are <laughs> people. A random segue, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It it, it it it's perfect into what I was thinking about. You know, there are people all over the world. Um, they could be celebrities or just people that are known, right? Presidents, celebrities, musicians, whatever. I feel like it's more likely that they may wind up in other people's dreams just because they're so well known. Do you mm-hmm. think that those people have any experience spiritually, psychically or something because they are being pulled into so many other people's dreams? Do you know, I've thought about this. I've genuinely thought about this where I've, I've, I said to you earlier that I dreamt I was pushing Vin Diesel in a shopping trolley, right? right? In a shopping cart. That was a dream that I had. And I actually wondered, does that mean I appeared in his? Because, you know, when you were saying, you know, when you were saying earlier about I saw this random person's face in my dream last night. Yeah. Um, and and, it, and it, that's what made me think, you know, did, did Vin Diesel wake up the following morning and think, oh, I dreamt about this random British woman last night, you know, who she was pushing me in a shopping cart. You know, um, I've got no way of knowing that unless mm-hmm. he ever contacts me. So um, but it, it's that thing, isn't it? It's, is it? Is it possible that when we're dreaming and, and again, you know, it's important when we talk about dreams that we don't just fall into the trap of talking about the Western world. You know, of course, dreams are significant around the world in lots of different traditions and cultures. Dreams are a portal, you know, in some traditions and cultures to our deceased loved ones and and to another time in another place. So it's important when we talk about these experiences that we remember that you know we don't just put a western slant on it you know that we actually open up that that possibility because again you've got people who will say quite categorically um that they've had uh you know experiences where they've met their loved ones through almost like a veil or a doorway um you know or especially not long after someone's died they'll have this um experience that they're almost like they're on the other side you know uh, speaking that way so yeah i think it's important that we we consider those possibilities you know is it possible that you know if if we dream about an actor that we appear in their dreams or you know is it possible because how would we know and that's the thing that's the other thing about predictive dreams i mentioned predictive dreams earlier the irony with predictive dreams the dreams that predict our future is that we don't know until it happens. We just don't know if they're going to come true until or unless it happens. And I know people who will say categorically that they have had dreams which come true. I talk about it in Answers in the Dark, that they are convinced that they have had. And I don't, you know, I don't dismiss that. For them, if if it felt real to them, it was an experience that they can explain, they articulate it very well. Who am I to say that's not real? It's it's not that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to listen and to understand and, and appreciate those experiences. Um, but the irony with predictive dreams is until or unless it happens, we just don't know. 
And so it's it's that whole kind of thing. Like I say, I just think it needs so much more research and insight. And it certainly isn't something that we should be dismissing. You know, it's certainly not something we should be dismissing out of hand and saying, no, that can't happen. I think, you know, if if we think about it, we've really only been scratching the surface of sleep, particularly for about 100 years. That's nowhere near enough time to say for sure what's what's happening or not whilst we're asleep. We talk about on the show sometimes that we're all connected and sometimes, you know, I'm sure it's happened to you. You'll think about something and then all of a sudden they appear in your life or they'll call you or something. So I wonder if, you know, there's a connection with that with dreams as well. Absolutely. I've genuinely met people who've said to me, you know, I, I dreamt about you last night and then here you are, you know, you've contacted me or, you know, I thought about you yesterday and now you're, you're contacting me. And, um, you know, again, just going back to predictive dreams for a minute, I, I know that I've had dreams. I genuinely have lost count of the number of people I knew were pregnant before they told me because I dreamt that they were pregnant. I remember reaching out to one friend and saying to her, have you got something to tell me? And and she replied back on the message saying, damn it, how did you know? And I said, I dreamt it. You know, I just, I just knew. I don't know how I knew. I just knew it was, it came to me in a dream and, and, and that's how it was. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, this whole thing about connection as well, I think that's really important and, and identifying that, you know, we are all connected. So it makes sense that our, our dreams can talk to us in this way and, and, um, you know, reveal different things that are important to us. Are there symbols in dreams that can be predictive? Like I saw a black cat in my dream. So that means that this is going to happen today or. Mm. Yeah. So I talk about that in answers in the dark where when I've spoken to people about predictive dreams, for example, there was, there were people that said to me that they knew it was a predictive dream if it was in this like sepia color, you know, like the old fashioned photographs about hundred, hundred and or however many years ago it would have been where those really old fashioned photographs where it's not quite black and white. It's almost like a yellowy black and white um, color. Um, and there were people that said to me, they knew they were going to have a dream that came true if they dreamt like that. If they dreamt in that sepia tone, their dreams would come true. Um, there was another person who said to me that if in the dream they looked down and they were standing in a puddle of water, they knew that their dream was going to come true. So, I mean, not anything like you were just describing. Black cat makes total sense, you know, if you think of that in a, a spiritual context. Um, but these were random things. These weren't kind of, you know, the obvious things that you might think of, like an angel appeared or, you know, there was a glow about the person or, you know, anything like that these were random things like I say one person said they were standing in a puddle of water and they knew that their dreams were going to come true but then other people it just happened you know some people will say always around the time of a full moon other people will say it was a one-off experience they dreamt something was going to come true it did and it's never happened since so that's why I think you know again dream diaries can be great for that you know if you keep a dream diary and then you start to identify um, those patterns, you know, if you if you have had dreams which have come true, keep a dream diary because you will be able to see if there's any pattern to why they come true when they do. And that's how some people, like I say, have said it's usually around the time of a full moon or, you know, it's it's this this particular experience when it looks like this. So so, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a good reason to keep a dream diary and that might help. Sometimes we talk about sleep paralysis and especially for a lot of people in the first couple of times it happens, it can be terrifying, but some people seem to be able to manage it and then possibly even like astral travel or do stuff while they're, while they're in that state. Yeah, so it's a really fascinating um, concept and a phenomenon where in the book I refer to it as old hag syndrome, because in the old days we used to think, um, and again, uh, you know, um, in some cultures this may still be the case, that um, these were spirits coming to us, um, you know, and appearing to us whilst we were asleep. The, the kind of the the war, the disclaimer I put on that is that we know now that we experience the, the common name for it now. It used to be called old hag syndrome. The common name for it now is sleep paralysis. And for many people, it's an experience that they have when they're stressed. So if they're going through a difficult time, then they may be more likely to have this experience of sleep paralysis. And just to explain what that's like. So a person who is experiencing sleep paralysis may well 
um, feel as if they've got a heavy pressure on their chest or it feels like there's someone in the room or um, may even be that that's when they hear their name being called. So, um, but again, it looks different to different people. And you're right, for some people, it's terrifying because what's happening at that moment is the paralysis that we have when we're dreaming. We are essentially paralyzed whilst we're dreaming that is starting to um, disappear as we wake up but for some people they wake up before the paralysis is gone so they're conscious they're aware of the fact that they are coming to that they're coming awake but the paralysis that they were experiencing whilst they were dreaming has not gone so um so that's why they have that sensation of feeling like they're they're physically paralyzed um but the good news is it, it shouldn't last too long it should only last a few moments um, um, and but again, like all of these things, you know, if you're ever worried, talk to people about it. Don't don't suffer in silence, you know, especially if it, it's terrifying you. But, yeah, some people might even have some, you know, some unexplainable experiences whilst they're having that. Um, but it's definitely something, again, to keep an eye on and, and record it if it's helpful. Let me ask you a few common dreams and, and we'll see what you think about them. Okay. For example, what does it mean if you dream that you're losing your teeth? Oh, so this is uh, around the world when I've spoken to people about this um, and, I, and I know people have this uh, in America as well because I've had people, uh, journalists contact me and say, what does it mean when we dream of losing our teeth? It's one of the most common dreams that people have and it is often associated with loss in some way. So in some cultures, for example, in some traditions, the, the losing teeth is a fear of death because tooth is bone and when we think of bone we think of skeleton so when we think of skeleton we think of death it's all about like that word association so for some people the losing teeth is a fear of death it's not predictive of death you know and unless it's specific to that culture it's certainly not predictive of that it's more a fear of it happening and so the, the dream of uh, of losing a tooth might be a fear of losing a loved one um for others uh, certainly in the west when we um, lose our teeth as children what do we do we exchange them for money and because we have the tooth fairy so um and so for some people in some traditions in some cultures the losing teeth could be representative of status and wealth so if I dream of losing a tooth it might be that I'm worried I'm going to be losing money or I'm worried I'm going to be losing some sort of status or you know financial prospect that's from that perspective but I will also say um, and one thing we haven't really touched on is the fact that um, dreams can be literal so if I dream that I'm losing a tooth and I'm genuinely worried that my teeth are falling out you know if I've got an appointment with a dentist for example it makes perfect sense that I'm going to have a dream that I've got wobbly teeth or, or that my teeth are going to fall out so again that's one of the reasons why when I talk about and I talk about this in answers in the dark because I offer a little toolkit at the back for people to explore their own dreams I was very careful to say that the book is not a dream dictionary because our, your dreams are so personal to you but I've offered these tools on how to decode them but so much of that is going to also rely on your own beliefs your own traditions your own cultures and what that means for you um so yeah depending on you know if we if we only look at one perspective we're only getting one bite of the apple so we need to kind of consider the broader picture and think okay is this symbolic is this literal is this a metaphor for something um and then we'll we'll get to the answers so are you saying or do you believe that our dreams are really trying to tell us something and we should, yeah, every time. We should be taking them seriously and trying to interpret them. Yeah, every time. And, and I say this kind of joking, but also kind of seriously as well, is that sometimes your dreams can just be telling you when I say that they're trying to tell us something, it might be don't have spicy food before bedtime. Mm. Right. You know, sometimes if you if you eat cheese or if you eat chocolate right before bedtime, you might have the wildest, most vivid dreams. And your dream might be telling you don't eat cheese and don't eat chocolate before bedtime. Right. So even if we can't necessarily make sense of the content of the dream sometimes the dream itself might just be trying to point us towards something so one of the common dreams that people sometimes have is that they're back at school taking their exams that's a really common dream that people have they're back at school they're taking their exams and they're just not ready for it they arrive in the dream at the school they're in the room and they're like what's happening I wasn't ready for this I wasn't prepared and sometimes that dream 
can be saying to us, do you remember how stressed you were when you were at school taking your exams? You're that stressed now. So it, it might not have anything to do with the school. It might not have anything to do with the exam. It might just be the way our brain imprints these memories and our dreams are saying, do you remember how stressed you were back then? You're that stressed now. So that's one of the reasons I absolutely believe your dreams are trying to tell you something. You can ignore it. You can pay attention. Um, but I absolutely believe they're trying to tell you something, even if it is, like I say, something like just don't eat so late at night. What about dreaming about falling? Yeah, so again, this is a really interesting one where we might experience this sensation where, and you might have had this, Jeff, where you've had this experience where you're just dozing off into a lovely sleep and you feel like you've fallen off something and you kind of jolt yourself awake. Um, and there's a term for that. I talk about this in Answers in the Dark. It's called a hypnic jerk or a hypnic myoclonia. And it's to do with our body, especially if our brain has been going at 100 miles an hour all day, you try and stop. Um, and then you're trying to sort of like settle into sleep. Sometimes it can be that sentinel reflex I was talking about earlier. It might be this kind of internal body clock that's saying, oh, no, hang on. Is it safe enough to go to sleep? Are you sure you're feeling OK? Is there anything else we didn't do today that we need to do? Um, and that might be why you jolt awake. But it feels like falling as you're going into sleep, literally as you're falling to sleep. It's almost like you're falling in your dream. But for other people, um, they literally um, have a dream that they are falling. Um, and one of the most common questions I get asked is if I hit the dream, if I hit the bottom in the falling dream, am I going to die? A bit like the Matrix, you know, where Neo is trying to he's falling in the dream and he, and he hits the ground and, and Morpheus. Morpheus, by the way, means the God of dreams. That's what that whole movie is about dreams. Um, but uh, but and Morpheus says the mind makes it real. So um, I think some people worry if they fall and hit the ground in a dream that they would die as they would in real life. And my answer to that is, how would you know? Because if you fall and hit the, you know, the bottom in the dream and, and you die, how would you know? Um, and so I think um, but to, to, to reassure people, many people have hit the bottom in a dream and live to tell the tale. So um, it's, it's often to do with that feeling of not being in control. Falling dreams tend to be aligning them with, with not being in control. But it is true, isn't it, that we generally never experience dying in our dreams, right? Lots of people have dreams that they die. Yeah, lots of people do have dreams that um, they've seen their own death. Abraham Lincoln apparently dreamt his own death um, and his wife actually interpreted it as apparently. So the story goes. Um, she apparently said, don't go to the theatre or, or something like that. Um, he was he was meant to. He saw um, apparently. So the story goes. He saw his own coffin in his dream. Um, and he said to the soldier that was guarding the coffin, um, who's in that casket? And the soldier said the president of the United States. States. So some people do dream about their own death um, and, you know, from that perspective. But again, dreams of death are rarely about death. They are often about change. So, you know, a chapter in your life might be coming to a close or it might be that, um, you know, there's uh, you're seeing changes in other people. Or in my experience, dreams of death are rarely about death. They're usually about some form of change that we're recognizing. Um, and so we kind of, it's helpful to unpack it in that way. I think what I meant is we don't ever dream that we actually die. Like, mm -hmm. for example, hitting the ground and being dead or someone putting a sword through you and that's it. You, you <laughs> die. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I say, I've, I've definitely spoken to people who have had experiences like that, um, but but have lived to tell the tale, obviously, because they've told me about it. Um, but it's like, again, it's it's these whole experiences until you actually get talking to people about it. And it'll be interesting, actually, if any of your listeners actually come back to you and say, no, I've had that dream, Jeff. I've had mm -hmm. that dream where, you know, they died and and, and they've, they've kind of come back to tell us about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just think this is this this is the whole thing. One of the things about Answers in the Dark that I talk about is I just want to start a conversation, right? I just want to get us talking about this. I want to get us talking about these. And I know not everybody will align with the visitation type dreams, the predictive dreams, the past life, the, you know, the mutual dreaming experiences. I know that won't be everybody's cup of tea to talk about those things. But I think we just need to start the conversation because if we close it down before we've even started, then how would we get to 
hear these experiences? How would we get to know, you know, your listeners? I really hope your listeners come back and say, oh yeah, no, I've had that dream, you know, where I was, that happened to me and I, I lived to tell the tale. So yeah, it's just about starting the conversation and giving people food for thought. All right, Delphi, where do we find your book? On your website or Amazon? Yeah, it's available on Amazon um, in the US and it's also through Barnes and Noble, the US um, bookstore there. Um, and I also have a dedicated website for the book, which is answersinthedark.com. So people can see all their buying options there if they want to, to have a look. Are you working on anything else that you want us to know about, like another book? Yeah, so it's in the background. It's just in that kind of developmental stage at the moment. So um, I'm thinking about it and what it's going to look like. But yeah, I, I am. But I, at the moment, I'm just focused on getting answers in the dark out there and, and starting this conversation. I guess I should have asked you, are you dreaming about anything else that you're working on? <laughs> yes, all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yeah, absolutely. So I think in the book, I try to talk about normalizing these conversations and that at the end of the day, our dreams and our nighttime experiences, if we just give ourselves permission to talk about them, we will often find that they are nowhere near as scary as we might have thought them to be. So one of the things, one of the key messages of Answers in the Dark is really about trying to make friends with the dark. I talk about that in the section Into Darkness, trying to make friends with the dark and with our dreams so that we can see them as this positive, healthy, helpful, insightful experience rather than something to be afraid of. I genuinely think of them like a friend and um, that can help us when we're ready to listen. Thank you for that message. And Delphi, thank you again for being my guest. I wish you massive success with your book. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.